Hello, my friends. Robbie O here. Hope you are well. This is a surprise episode. In fact, it's a surprise to me that it's even happening. Let me explain. The next full stimulus show, episode 97, it's going to be a mental model for approaching certain conversations or a certain type of conversation. And while I was researching that, I started researching something that came up as part of a clinical question. And I went down this rabbit hole for half a day on a very peculiar and specific area of research. And that is the effect of azithromycin on viral infections. The common refrain, which I have used myself probably thousands of times, is that if you have a virus, you do not take an antibiotic. Antibiotics treat bacterial infections. If this is a viral infection, this medicine will only bring harm, not any benefit. And spoiler alert, you know, if you, you hear you want to get to the ending, I still think that's true. But there is a fascinating corner of research looking at exactly what happens when azithromycin meets a virus. When someone would tell me that they have a cold and a ZPAC got them better, my immediate response would be that you are completely incorrect. There is no possible way that those two things are even the slightest bit related. Your symptoms got better despite you taking that Z-Pack. So I wondered, is there perhaps more to this story? Is there a gray middle ground of which I was unaware? There was certainly signal of that as azithromycin started getting attention in the early days of COVID as a possible therapeutic. We know that didn't really pan out, but it was certainly a double take, right? Like, wait, azithromycin, what the heck's going on here? And what I want to do in this itty-bitty mini-episode is talk about azithromycin, azithromycin and viruses. And some of you know that I spent many years, over a decade, doing pure clinical education. So what you're about to hear is me pulling out that old bone, chewing on it a bit. So we know that azithromycin is an antibiotic, but it turns out that azithromycin actually has some activity in the viral arena. This shocked me, to wit. There are in vitro studies that show reduced rhinovirus. I'm talking common cold here. Well, there's a lot of viruses that cause a common cold, but the most well-known one, reduced rhinovirus replication and release in vitro azithromycin. Kicking ass. In another in vitro study on respiratory cells from lung transplant patients, azithromycin reduced rhinovirus-associated cellular inflammation. So far, what we see, when in vitro gets a cold, when the Petri dish is feeling sick, azithromax to the rescue. And in a study of kids with coronavirus, that's the old-timey coronavirus, it didn't freak everybody out, those kids had reduced viral load with azithromycin. Cheese and rice, what is going on here? And in mice infected with enterovirus, azithromycin improves survival. Virus, survival, zithromax, I mean, can you just see the headlines? All of that's like, okay, that's, that's interesting. But here's where it got really compelling for me. In patients infected with influenza A, azithromycin has been shown to reduce interleukins 6, 8, 18, tumor necrosis factor, CRP, indicating fairly global reduced anti-inflammatory properties in flu patients. 
what's the world coming to? Is your deeply held belief of the sacred wall between antibiosis and antivirals being shaken? Mine was, as I got deeper into this. So let me talk about that influenza study for a moment, the one I just mentioned that kind of blew my mind when I saw the results. Well, I don't know, that's maybe hyperbole. Got my attention. This was patients with influenza A receiving either oseltamivir alone for five days or azithromycin with oseltamivir. This was a small open-label study and found that azithromycin was associated with a decrease of all those inflammatory markers that I mentioned and whatnot. I mean, that's, it's amazing. Eureka. But alas, there was no difference in viral clearance or time to symptom resolution. So we've got these markers of activity, but the thing we really care about, hey, you feel better? No change. Granted, the primary outcome of this study was the reduction of inflammatory markers and clinical course, that was a secondary outcome. And, you know, secondary outcomes are like finding a quarter underneath the sofa cushion when you're looking for the TV remote. It's cool, but it's not going to help me watch my show. Another similar study out of Japan on patients with seasonal influenza had somewhat different results. Half got oseltamivir alone, the other half oseltamivir plus azithromycin, and this one was a single dose of two grams of azithromycin in addition to oseltamivir. How'd they even keep it down? I mean, that's like the antibiotic equivalent of Ipecac. And before you email me saying, yes, but oseltamivir hardly works anyway for flu, so WTF? Look, I get it. I get it. But you know what? That's what the study did, so let's roll with it. Interestingly, there was no difference in inflammatory markers between the two groups. So contrary to the previous flu study from a minute ago, but the combination group did have what I would say is a barely perceptible faster improvement in fever and sore throat. And what to make of that, I'm not sure because there were so many secondary outcome measures here. It was like every symptom you could possibly have with flu. And most of them, there was no difference at all. And the ones I just mentioned were right on the fence of statistical significance. One was P of 0.5, one was P of 0.6. So, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the combination of those two drugs making some as yet unknown effect. And some of the patients in that study felt a little better, a little faster, could be a signal. Or maybe it's a whole lot of nothing. Taking all of it, I don't know, if I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a meta-analysis on those two studies, somewhat unimpressive. Yeah, I mean, especially with the contradictory results. But I, I think there's just a little sprinkle of fairy dust suggesting that azithromycin is doing something. And personally, I don't find something surprising because every medication is a selective poison. And azithromycin poisons a lot of stuff. Here's the short list of what it impacts. Interleukin beta production, PGE2 synthesis, tumor necrosis factor, cytokine expression. It slows membrane trafficking towards lysosomes. It inhibits the fluid phase of endocytosis of macromolecules. And I'm just getting started. But suffice it to say, there's a lot going on here. So when we see these changes in inflammatory markers or in vitro decreased viral loads, those results are not far-fetched. And by extension, it frankly wouldn't be far-fetched if this drug improved severity of illness in viral respiratory infections. I would have no problem with a study that said that. In fact, I think that would be pretty cool. And when it comes to flu, an illness with cytokine dysregulation, a medication such as azithromycin with its immunomodulatory and anti-inflammatory effects, I mean, it looks so tasty. 
And we know that many antibiotics have properties other than or in addition to fighting bacterial infections. Clindamycin, anti-inflammatory. Metronidazole, anti-inflammatory. Free radical inhibition, immunosuppressive effects. Tetracycline, anti-malarials, also well-known anti-inflammatories. The possibilities here are very strong. Unfortunately, the data to date does not show observable clinical outcome benefit with azithromycin and viral infections. And undergirding that, let's talk about the pediatrics for a moment. 2009 paper found that azithromycin did not improve disease course in hospitalized infants with RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. And believe it or not, there actually has been some sign of clarithromycin, azithromycin's cousin, decreasing hospitalization in patients with severe RSV. But the preponderance of data pretty consistent, at least to date, that there is no benefit. And to that point, a Cochrane review found insufficient evidence to support the use of antibiotics and bronchiolitis. Now, on the flip side of all of this, or I don't know if it's the flip side, maybe the other side of the coin, we know that azithromycin can do bad things. In March 2013, the FDA issued a warning that azithromycin was associated with an increased risk of sudden cardiac death. That didn't come as a huge surprise. I mean, it came as a a disappointment, but not a huge surprise because it's known to increase the QTC interval. So it makes sense, especially in those who already have a prolonged QTC or have underlying cardiac disease, they could have a bad event. And when you've got millions of people taking this drug, you're probably going to have some adverse things happen. And this data came from the Tennessee Medicaid program that found that while taking azithromycin, patients had an almost three-fold risk of cardiovascular death compared to those who were not taking antibiotics. And you think, okay, well, maybe it's just like the, you know, like the illness that they have, taking antibiotics versus not, so there could be something else going on. But there was a two and a half times increased risk of cardiac death in the azithromycin patients compared to those taking amoxicillin. Now, we're not talking causality here. We're talking association, right? We're just looking at a population data and all that that comes with, all the, the baggage, all the good and all the bad. And when this came out, there were questions about its generalizability. We're all skeptics and rightly so. And patients on Medicaid are known to have higher rates of comorbid disease as well as increased mortality compared to the non-Medicaid population. So what about a lower risk population? Well, a few years after this Tennessee data came out, in 2013, a Danish study found that young to middle-aged patients with a low risk of cardiovascular disease did not have an increased risk of cardiovascular death when taking azithromycin. So that study on the surface, very exciting, but it was underpowered to detect small differences. So still possible, but within the construct of that study, that all right, we didn't find much of a difference. So the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, they recommend identifying patients at risk for drug-induced arrhythmia, sudden cardiac death, i.e. those at risk for prolonged QT, either from underlying cardiac disease or medications already taking, think twice about giving them this drug. In addition, azithromycin is one of the most common antibiotics associated with antibiotic-associated diarrhea. And when it comes to C. diff, harbinger of ye old fecal transplant, the data I've seen on azithromycin with C. diff all over the place. It looks to me it's about a 1% to 2% risk, which, I mean, that was actually pretty high considering all the people that are taking this drug. Some 
studies say less than 1%. It's, you know, compared to the antibiotic diaspora, it's a low likelihood event. It's nowhere near clindamycin levels, but it is not an innocent little angel. And now, you know likely more than you did before this about azithromycin effects and viral infections. And I had to throw in some of the adverse stuff at the end. You also know what you knew before starting listening to this, that there's no evidence that azithromycin improves outcome in viral respiratory infections. Might there be evidence in the future? Maybe. And wouldn't that be exciting? In our next episode, we're going to talk about how to effectively communicate this information to patients. And the answer isn't just have them listen to this podcast you just heard and leave the room. You know what? I guess you could, I guess you could do that. Probably not. I probably shouldn't do that. Actually, I did do that once as a patient with, uh, with AFib, had acute AFib, and started talking about cardioversion, and then a trauma activation came in. So I had to go and think, oh, boy, I still got to have a conversation with this guy so we can do the procedure. I just recorded a podcast on AFib, so I opened up his podcatcher and had him listen to it while I was in the, in the trauma. Actually, it worked really well. Wait a second. Why didn't I turn that into a business idea? You know what? Still time. Ironically, actually, as I think about that AFib case, and we're getting on real stream of consciousness here, the conversation where you're telling someone, no, you are not going to prescribe them antibiotics for their cold can be so much more contentious than the one where you tell them you're going to put them to sleep for five minutes and 200 joules of energy through their chest and reset the electricity in their heart. (laughs) Strange world, ain't it? We'll see you in a week.